Colossians 2 gives us a contrast between the wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ as against Judaizing and heathenizing philosophy. Hear now the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word, Colossians 2, verse 1. For I would that she knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and builded up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ." Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship 
and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Colossians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7 of this passage, we have the apostles' concern for the Colossians, especially over their Judaizing error to live as Jews. Note verse 2. He wants them to know specific things, to have their hearts comforted, being knit together in love, so that, or unto, all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now this is a very interesting thought that God wants us to love one another and to be united together in the same faith so that our assurance of faith may grow. That we understand not a possible truth, but an absolute infallible truth. That's what God wants us to understand. The full assurance of understanding. John Chrysostom says, that is, that they may doubt about nothing that they may be fully assured in all things, but I meant full assurance which is by faith, for there is a full assurance which cometh by arguments. In other words, you're not going to be argued into this, you're going to believe, and therefore your assurance will grow. I know, he saith, that ye believe, but I would have you fully assured. This is the doctrine of this text. Verse 3, the full assurance of understanding in our Lord Jesus Christ in the mystery that is him in whom are hid, what? All the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Not some of the treasures, all. Everything else, when you think about the treasures that are promised by the wicked, And their systems of doctrine and philosophy, what are they? Are they treasures of wisdom and of knowledge? No. I note then that Christ's religion has a systematic monopoly on the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Systematic monopoly. There's no competition. There's no other game on the block. And the two that he mentions here in this passage are the Judaizing and the heathenizing philosophies. They cannot compete. This is a rebuke to all forms of syncretism, which seeks to blend Christ with either the Jewish philosophy or the heathen, or both a Judaizing, heathenizing Christianity. This is what he's speaking against here. Let us then hold fast to the knowledge of Christ. He alone is the truth. He alone has all wisdom and knowledge, and therefore we should come to him. Verse 4. And this I say, lest, that is, I'm going to prevent this from happening by saying this about Christ having all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Oh, enticing. What does that mean? It means it sounds good. It makes sense. There's some logic to it. It sounds persuasive to me. That sounds good. I've never heard that argument before. Now, the purpose for believing that in Christ is the only truth, the only wisdom, is so that we won't be deceived by these logical discourses. Sounds good. Sounds great. In fact, 
the enticing logoi, logoi or reasonings, discourses, logical discourses that are very persuasive. He wants us to reject them. I note then this doctrine that abandonment of a Christian philosophy begins when you're persuaded by the reasoning of an adversary. Their discourse is intended to persuade you away from the exclusive claims of Christ into some syncretism. Sing is together, creto is I believe. So it's where a person says, yes, I believe Christ, but I also believe in Vishnu. I also believe in Muhammad. I also believe in the Talmud. I also believe in this or that or the other. Plato, Aristotle, what have you. Or the modern philosophers, the modern Darwinist philosophers. I believe in Christ, but I also believe in Freud. Let's put it that way. Christian counseling. Yes, I believe the Bible, but I also believe that all truth is God's truth. Including all these errors from these wicked pantheist Darwinists I'll call that truth. This is what you should believe about man's psyche. This is how to fix all your problems. These are the medical solutions we have to your problems. What is that? Here's Christ with all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then let me take this guy over here. He's got some wisdom and knowledge. And let me blend them together. He's warning us about this. Beware of those things that sound good. Oh, that sounds great. That's a good idea. That sounds appealing. Yeah, isn't all truth God's truth? Even the errors of the wicked, that's God's truth too. Yeah, let's mix them together. Was scripture not enough to solve the problems of man's soul? You know, that's what psychology is. Suke is your soul. Logos is the study of the soul. Psychology means the study of the soul. Is there not enough truth in the Bible about man's soul that we have to go to these wicked pagans to figure it out? To ask the question is to answer it, which is why they don't like you to ask that question. All truth is God's truth. Let me just take a little bit of the wisdom of man and some of what Christ says and see if I can mishmash them together. No. It sounds good, doesn't it? All truth is God's truth, but it's a lie. God has delivered the truth in a systematic monopoly through his son in the Holy Scriptures. There's no place else. You can't go somewhere else. He alone has the words of eternal life. He alone has what is good for life and godliness. He alone can heal your soul. That's what psychiatry is, by the way. Yatras is to heal. Sukhas is your soul. Psychiatry is the healing of your soul. Was Christ not enough? You needed some pagan? Verses 8 through 15, he warns against the Gentile philosophy, and he contrasts it with the privileges of Christians. Verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, spoiling you is like a pirate. He steals you. That's what he's saying. He makes off with you. He robs you, not just your goods, but you. These people with their arguments, they have their philosophy, their love or pursuit of wisdom, but it's all vain. It's all empty. It's all lies. 
whether Judaizing, heathenizing, it's empty deceit. It's a rule beside what God says. It measures the heavenly mysteries by man's natural reason. He says it is after the tradition of men. You know what God's tradition is? Do you believe in tradition? I do. Here's God's tradition. The prophets and the apostles. That's our tradition. God handed that down to us. It was handed to our forefathers. They handed it down to us. Here it is. This is God's tradition. The Bible. What is the tradition of men? Anything else than this. This is God's tradition. The traditions of men are not here. They're somewhere else. They're not in the Bible. They're in some other source. And I don't care what source you name. That's not God's tradition. That is not God's handing down to us from hand to hand. That is the prophets and the apostles. These things, he says, are merely of human authority. And, he says, they're after the rudiments of the world. The Westminster Annotations concerning this word rudiments. As a child is led to read by learning the ABC, or a scholar by his exceedance to his grammar. This is the idea of the rudiments. Judaism was a rudimentary religion. There is a God. You're not reconciled to him. Here are some stick figures to illustrate how he's going to reconcile you to him. You take a lamb, you slit its throat. You put the blood on the altar. You have a place where you gather together like a heavenly sanctuary only on the earth. And I'm going to forgive and atone for your sins through these animals again and again and again. And here, here are these festivals to remind you that you don't rule over creation anymore. Creation rules over you. You have to watch the clock to see, is it now the day of the new moon? Now I have to do this and this and this. Is it now the day of these special appointed seasons and holy days? These are the rudiments of the world. Judaizing. Or for the heathens. All of their years and days, their demigods, their saints, their candles, their incense, their altars, their priests, all these kept them in bondage in the rudiments of the world. These things, he says, these are not the wisdom of Christ. They are not after Christ. Christ is the prophet of all prophets. He spoke in the prophets and the apostles. He is the priest who alone makes atonement and intercedes for us. He is the king who alone rules and defends his church, subduing it to himself, restraining and conquering all of his and their enemies. There's no one else. There's no other rule beside his word. There's no other kingship beside his. And there note verse 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Back to what he said in chapter 1. Panta pleroma. All the pleroma of your demigods that you heathens worship. Junk. Trash. It's all in Christ. You need no other mediator. No other king. No other savior. All the attributes, the powers, the prerogatives of God in Jesus Christ in bodily form. What else do you need? God in the flesh. You need no more. And note verse 10, he says as much, and ye are complete, where? In him. 
Literally, you have been made complete and continue in that state of completion. It's a perfect passive participle. Perfect, it was done in time past and the effects continue on to now. Passive meaning it was done to you. God did this to you. God made you complete in Christ. Why do you want something else? I note then that Christ, the God-man, his revelation in the prophets and the apostles, his priestly work on our behalf, his ruling and reigning as king is all that we need. Let us look for sufficiency and completeness in no other than in Christ. All else is vain deceit, human tradition, or rudiments of the world. That's why he's warning us. We must see we are complete in Christ who is the head of all principality and power. And what is more, do you need circumcision in the flesh? No, you have circumcision made without hands. Verse 11. You have what it signifies, what the ceremonies pointed ahead to, what the rudiments of the world taught the Jews, we have the substance of. We saw this in the book of Philippians. Putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. That's the substance that circumcision pointed to. We have that. We are buried with him in baptism. Again, not a Judaizing formula, because it's through the faith of the operation of God we believe in the thing promised. We believe in what God signifies by the external rite of baptism, being raised together through the faith of the operation of God, being once dead in our sins, now quickened together with him, verse 13. We once existed in a state of being a corpse. That's what it means, literally. Antos necrus, existing as corpses. That's what we were spiritually. But God raised those spiritual corpses to eternal life together with Jesus Christ, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Now note here the skill of the apostle. He always distinguishes justification from sanctification, but he never separates them. They always come together, and here he does it. All your sins are forgiven, justification, but you are raised to newness of life, sanctification. The two go together. And note, when Christ Jesus our Lord died, he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them. All the other things you might go and look for help in and wisdom from, he already destroyed them. They're his enemies. They're defeated foes. Why would you go to them? Why would you beg of them to give you wisdom? Christ has it all. Systematic monopoly. Verses 16 through 23, then a caution against a proto-Gnosticism, a knowledge divorced from God's revelation in Scripture. He says, verse 16, let no man judge you in meat or in drink. Now, Gnostics believed that the world was created by the bad God. Matter was created by the bad God. The good God created the spirit of man, The bad God created the fleshly part. And then there are two ways that they would apply this, two distinct schools of Gnostic thought. One is the ascetic school. Well, if the bad God created physical things, then I'm going to deny myself all physical pleasures. I'm going to to deny myself food. 
I'm going to deny myself the company of a wife, for example. I'm going to live out in the desert, and I will live this ascetic life. That's one approach. What was the other? Well, if the flesh was created by the bad God, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. So therefore, I can indulge the uncleanness of my desires. After all, I'm not a body. I'm just a disembodied spirit. So who cares what happens with my body? This is actually the argument of those who say that they can switch their sex because I'm not my body. Well, yeah, actually you are. You're your body and your spirit. That's what makes you a human. That's what God says. Oh, but I'm just a spirit and my spirit is female even though my body's male. (laughs) No, that's Gnosticism. You are what God made you in your body and in your spirit. And the two, he never makes a mistake on that. They always go together. So these people would say, well, I can either do whatever I want with my body, because after all, it's not really me, or I have to deny myself all fleshly pleasures. And you find both condemned in the pages of the New Testament. You find the perverse and the wicked who say, ah, it doesn't matter what you do, just do whatever you please. And then you also find the ascetic condemned here in Colossians 2 and other passages. Here they say, you must observe these meats and drinks. You must observe these holy days, these new moons or these Sabbath days. You must follow the laws of Moses beyond just the natural order, those things he gave as pledges that Christ would come. You must observe all these things. He says, verse 17, that these things were a shadow, but the body is of Christ. You have your hand and you have some light and you can see a dim outline of your hand. That's a shadow. Is it really you? Is it the substance of your hand? Of course not. And if you said, well, I have my hand now, but I want the shadow instead, you would be insane. You would be crazy. Why would you go back to the shadows that said that Christ had not arrived when Christ has arrived? Why would you go back to all these laws, all these elements, these hankerings after ceremonies? These are a mark of the Antichrist. They are not a mark of Christianity. Let no man, he says, beguile you of your reward. Now this is an interesting term. Do you remember how we had a presidential election? One obviously won, and one was inaugurated. That's the beguiling part. When you take away somebody else's reward, you obviously didn't win, but you got the judge to say that you did. You didn't earn it. That's the idea. You have a reward granted to you in Christ, believing in him. You have justification and eternal life. And these umpires come along and say, no, we want to take that away from you. We don't want you to have that anymore. You don't just need Christ. You need these other things too. This is, he says, verse 18, a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. What is a voluntary humility? We also call it superstition. It's where you do it your way. God says this is how to humble yourself. You say, you know, I have a better way, actually. My way is just a tad bit better than God's. He says to humble yourself in these ways. I have another way. I am so humble, you know, that I won't go directly to Jesus and he'll be my mediator to God. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to angels, part of his body, or the saints, you could say. They're part of the body of Christ, the saints in heaven. Let's go to them. 
Isn't that humble? I'm not going to go directly. I won't be so affront, give an affront to Jesus and go directly to him. I'll go through mom. I'll go through the other saints. I'll go through the angels. Chrysostom answers this dilemma. There are some who maintain that we must be brought near by angels, not by Christ. That were too great a thing for us. You see that? Oh, it's too great to come just through Jesus. Let's go through the angels. You see that? Humility, isn't it? It's voluntary humility. God didn't impose it on you. You imposed it on yourself. Chrysostom goes on. Therefore it is that he turns over and over again what has been done by Christ through the blood of his cross. Chapter 1, verse 20. On this account he says that he suffered for us, that he loved us. Why? So we can say, we come through Christ. We don't need to say, I need to be humble and go through the angels or the saints. We can come to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he repeats it and turns it over again and again. Because if we go with our own humility, are we holding to the head? No. You're setting your sights on the body of Christ rather than on the head of the body, which is Christ himself. Are the angels part of the body of Christ? Yes. Are the saints part of the body of Christ? Yes. Do we hold fast to the body? No. We hold fast to the head. And that's what he says. I note then this rebuke. Heathenizing heresy pretends humility by offering worship to the members of the body. But is that what we should do? No. The angels in heaven say, John, get up. I'm a fellow servant. You don't worship me. Worship God. He's the one you worship. Let us then rest content with the salvation that God has provided. Let us hold fast to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us come to God through his mediation and not with a false humility. Now we can have false humility in many ways. You remember Peter? Oh Lord, you won't wash my feet. Well, no, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Wash my whole body. He can't seem to realize you just need to listen to what Jesus says and you need to submit yourself to it and don't come up with other things. Verse 20, he asks them, why are ye subject to ordinances, dogmas, traditions, ordinances, or authoritative decrees? Why do you obey these things? Not only don't let people judge you for them, don't be subject to them. For these, he says, are after the commandments and doctrines of men, again, not divinely inspired in Scripture, not within God's commandments, but where? Where do these commandments and doctrines come from? Human sources. They have, he says in verse 23, a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body. Do these things appear to be wise? Yes. Are these acts of worship done at the will of man? Yes. What's the opposite of will worship? God's worship. What he commands us to do. What he says is pleasing to him. What is the humility of a Christian? It's to submit to the word of God. 
What is this that appears to be so humble? It is will worship. It is self-appointed humility. It is neglecting of the body. It appears to be wise, but it's man's notion of humility, not God's. It is the ascetic tendency. Do you know how that happened in the history of the church? First, you have the martyrs. Aren't they special? Yes, they die for their testimony. They're beheaded or they're burned or eaten by beasts. What happens when the persecution stops? Who are your martyrs now? Well, we have to do something. Come on, guys, figure out something. What are we going to do? Well, I'll go live away from the world. I'll deny myself the honor to the body. I will be off living on a pillar, Simon Stelitis. A stellite is someone who lives up on a pillar. The guy lived on a pillar, drinking water and eating herbs with a little bit of bread and salt. That's all I'm going to ever eat. I'm never going to take a bath. <coughs> I'm never going to shave. I'm never going to be with a woman. Is that what God says is humility? No. But this is the ascetic tendency where you mix heathenism and Judaism and Christianity and you mix it all together and you say, this is the true faith? Huh? No, it's not. This is falsehood and error. And thus far the explanation of Colossians 2, wherein we learn that we must hold fast with Jesus Christ, the head of his church church. 